I told you that I'd be coming in hot with some teachers, right? I said that I'm going to have some teachers coming in, teaching us a little more about the masculine experience. This episode is not exclusive to that. However, it's going to knock your socks off. It is incredible. This guy who I'm bringing on today, I've been trying to get on for a while. He is an OG in the space. He is a trailblazer. He's been teaching this stuff for a while. And although his age would not necessarily reflect it yet, I dare to say he is an elder in this space. He is brilliant, wise, kind, oozes integrity, and just straight truth bombs. So I hope you cleaned your ears out today because it's going to be coming in hot. We're going to melt the wax if you didn't. This guy, oh, all heart. You can feel the passion in his conversation and he's so good at expressing and just like putting to language the experience that I think us as men and the people who are in relationship with us have a hard time understanding what we're processing or unable to process. And for me, hearing what I might have coded as my partner's complaints and and being able to see what they're actually looking for. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode today. So before we get started, you know the drill. Wherever you listen to this, please subscribe to it. That raises its rankings. Give it a five-star review and a written review. That is so helpful. That's all I ask, please. So as part of my ongoing love affair with Organifi, I have been trying all their products. And I have now made part of my morning routine their green juice. And if you don't know what their green juice is, it's essentially like a superfood orgy of, (laughs) I don't know if there's another, there's probably another way to say it, but I don't want to say it another way because that tells you what's happening. Moringa, chlorella, mint, spirulina, beetroot, matcha green tea, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, lemon juice, coconut water, all getting in each other's business so they can bring the power of those superfoods to your body. So if this sounds like something that you're like, yo, I want to make that part of my morning routine, especially because you know when you drink green juice sometimes and you're like, oh, that tastes like lawnmower shavings with water. This tastes so good. So if that sounds like something you're like, yo, I want some of that, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you get a discount. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love. You get 20% off. Today's episode features the incredible John Wineland. So I'm not going to get in the way anymore. Let's do this. You didn't know, but you're, uh, you were made into a, a distance mentor for me, and I've always really admired <laughs> your work. You didn't know you were enrolled in that position, and I'm sorry I didn't come with any pay. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've always really right. admired your work, especially in the context um, of relationship and in the context of, I think, making what is seemingly hard to put into words for men, you know, like, how do I be what my partner needs me to be in a world that has never prepared me to be that? And how do I do that with any form of grace? And because of course that brings up so many things. So I I think I just want to start there of like, what brought you on this journey? And then maybe we can speak to um, really giving people access to that. Yeah. Well, I think you really just nailed it with that one sentence, which is that, you know, men are, men are being called, I think, in their relationships, for sure, culturally, and also internally, right, to, to, to find a, a, 
another gear, let's call it. <laughs> I like right? that. To I like find, that. Put it in the context gear. of car. I like that. <laughs> yeah, <work>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Speak dude. Um, to find another gear in their intimacy and in their awareness and in their consciousness. And you're right. Nobody prepared us. Nobody prepared me. Um, in fact, I was kind of prepared the opposite. <laughs> like, how do you avoid <laughs> intimacy? How do you, you know, how do you avoid conflict? How do you, you know, take on as little responsibility as possible? Like, mm. that's kind of what I learned from my dad, to be totally honest. And I was in my mid-30s, and and all of those uh, childhood programmings were, were bearing fruit in my relationships. And I was married and had a daughter and a little picket, you know, a, a picket fence in, in Westwood, if you know Westwood, a beautiful little neighborhood in Westwood, and supposedly was doing, you know, was a pillar in my community, um, doing, you know, I was in 12-step community and as a pillar in my community, and, and I, I could not relate. I could not show up for my marriage. I could not, I got hooked on, you know, I got hooked on all kinds of other distractions, you know, porn being one of them. And I, I just found, I just could not show up for my, for my marriage. And when that ended, I got hit by the realization, like if I really want to succeed in love, I guess would be the best way to put it, succeed in love, be fulfilled in love, that I'm going to have to learn what I obviously didn't know. And that led me on the path to all kinds of relationship. You know, at the time there wasn't Instagram gurus, you know, so Pat <laughs> Allen, <laughs> you know, Pat Allen, Tony Robbins, David Data, you know, and I went on this journey of like, okay, what's the, what's the fucking answer? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I came, my mom was married three times. My dad was married four times. You know what I mean? Like I did not have skills. So yeah, it was, it was total personal desperation that set me down this path. And then I finally found David Data in 2008. And it was just like, somebody turned on a light for me. Mm. And that light was, wow, there's this whole other part of you that you didn't even know you had access to that is so beautiful and so noble and so powerful and so committed to love. And and I just, it, when when he showed it to me, that first weekend, I was just blown away, and I, I got—I just totally got hooked, and 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 that was twelve plus years, almost thirteen years ago, almost thirteen years ago, and I've been on the path ever since. Yeah, I feel like when I found David's work and your work, I felt like there was a, and I think this is one of the beautiful things about the internet, you know, for all the things it does create that it has a negative impact. It certainly has had so many positive impacts in that just through the reading of David's words through, you know, then I went down the rabbit hole of like reading your words and watching your videos because you had uploaded so many talks. And I finally felt in a lot of ways witnessed and that there was permission to, to get to know this part of myself that by every other design. I mean, my dad definitely has a lot of emotional intelligence and he spoke to me a lot about my heart, my feelings, which was certainly an advantage over, I, I went more the codependent, uh, people pleasing, good guy route. Uh, oh, man, and I did that too, man. <laughs> I, like, I, I oscillated later to the other one just to keep it interesting, you know? Right. But I really feel like, I felt as though that was like, I had been missing and maybe sort of exiled the more warrior archetype within myself, you know, when we speak of like the masculine and feminine and 
I'd really love for you to be able to break down for people, you know, what that work that you identified with looked like and, and explain it because there is, I feel like it just gives words to something that people have been trying to find and they've not, even in that heteronormative or no matter the relational structure, that's what's so fascinating about it. So I'll just open it up right. for you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause and it's good because, you know, those terms get, they're so loaded, you know, masculine and feminine have so much patriarchy and, uh, you know, ownership of women and just uh, horrible histories, right. Of, mm-hmm. of misogyny and, and, um, yeah. And abuse quite frankly. So I understand why people would have reactions to those terms. However, if we go before, if we go way beyond that and we look at cultures in the East or we look at cultures, you know, uh, all indigenous cultures, if we look at nature, they are constantly talking about the polarities of nature, right? From, from let's, let's call it nothingness on one end of the spectrum. Let's call that the uber masculine end of the spectrum is like heavy nothingness and on the uber feminine end of the spectrum is you know exploding light storms in space you know i mean just (laughs) everything happening at once right yeah yeah and and as human beings we're born somewhere on that spectrum just our innate natural tendency is to fall somewhere like i'm actually more feminine meaning I'm more intuitive. I'm more sensitive. I'm more emotional. I'm more, you know, than I am masculine. I'm probably 60, 40 feminine to masculine. And I had to learn and accept that. But now, so I I fall like just on that part of the spectrum, kind of 60%, you know, and rather than create a value judgment about that, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, that's who I am. Right. Now I get to choose what do I want to cultivate? Do I want to cultivate more capacity for fierceness, penetration, depth, stillness? You know what I mean? That kind of piece, sort of monkey, monk warriorhoods, yeah. you know, which is the ultimate masculine archetype. Or do I want to cultivate my capacity to feel and, and express and move energy and feel energy? And, and, or do I, want to, do I want to, you know, I want to cultivate both. Ultimately, I think we all want to cultivate both mm-hmm. and then use a masculine tool or a feminine tool in any moment to create love or freedom or openness. So it really is regardless of gender. I mean, Shiva Shakti, yin and yang, you know, I mean, you have you have these energies that have existed for, you know, since the dawn of time and are existing in nature, latent manifest. I'm a Buddhist, so I tend to think in the, late, the, the mystic law has a latent aspect, meaning an, non-moving, non-expressive, and it has a manifest aspect. That's the masculine and the feminine. And it has nothing to do with gender. Um, it's been, they've been genderized, but they really have nothing to do with gender, except, except that most men, most hetero men, still fall a little bit more on that masculine side of the spectrum. It's mm-hmm. kind of changing. Yeah. In a few generations, like if you, the guys that are under 20, 25, they're much more gender fluid and they're much more energetically fluid. And it's great. Mm-hmm. They just get to choose now. Do I want to cultivate my masculine, that part of me that, that, that seeks depth, that wants stillness, that loves peace, that, you know, that wants to lead, that wants clarity, integrity, or do I want to cultivate my feminine 
And then ultimately, this is like the whole, I'm writing a whole book on this. I'm, I'm in the last month of finishing it for Sounds True. So next year. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm writing a whole book on this. And ultimately we want to take those capacities of our internal masculine, our internal feminine, and we want to synthesize them, merge them, unite them internally, and then offer them as gifts to the world, to, you know, our, our creativity and our consciousness, our consciousness and our love, our stillness and our movement in the world. All those things are should be united and then used as they're needed for the greater good. To be able to access them in the moment to what, what you're yeah. being asked, what part of you is being ne- needs to show up in that moment. And if we have exiled either part of that or do, or are ashamed of that, because you were saying on the spectrum, it's so easy because I think of like, I probably sit in a similar spot on the spectrum and my nickname as a kid uh, from my brother, which wasn't funny at the time, but it's kind of funny now, was Sensitor because he said if I was a dinosaur, I would be a sensitive dinosaur. But I don't understand the context well, that of- that makes you good at what you do, man. <laughs> right. Me too, right, yeah. Right. And and in a lot of ways, because I didn't have access to that other side or I'd been socialized to reject the masculine, like men are rapists, men are abusers, men are bad. That was obviously not the experience of like my dad or a lot of the men in my life, like my soccer coaches or whatever it was, but it was what was constantly being inundated through the news. And my mom is for, was for sure like an OG feminist. So even passively in sort of the communication of like, you know, we were taught, of course, like on the bus, get up for everybody, you know, to give your seat, which is a beautiful thing. Um, But there was very much this fear that I didn't want to be like other men. And in doing that, I rejected the very parts of me that I needed for boundaries. You know, I, I confused boundaries with being controlling or like, not loving. And so I'd love, yeah, because it feels like a lot of the, a lot of even the dialogue that's occurring now, because that was in the nineties and the eighties. I mean, the dialogue then with me too, and, and, and those were all important power restructuring movements and continue to be. But I think without the nuance of language, it's easy to just reject the whole archetype rather than recognize that we all need aspects of it. So I hope that makes right. sense. But if you could totally do that. <clears throat> yeah, totally. And, and it's such a it's such a valid conversation happening now in all realms. So I look at this as a reclaiming. Like mm-hmm. we're reclaiming. I'm I'm personally trying to reclaim these terms, masculine and feminine, um, uh, you know, as possibilities of being. Right. And, you know, you mentioned bounce. So, so we can break this down. We can nerd out on this all day. Hopefully your <laughs> listeners will get something about this, but boundaries, for example. So boundaries are a masculine structure. They're a container. So containers are masculine structures are masculine. If you think of a waterfall or a rushing river, right? You've got boundaries, you've got rocks holding a waterfall while well, the rocks are the masculine, right? Still and sort of guiding and the feminine is this rushing water, you put those two things together and you've got this be- the most beautiful thing on the planet, a right. waterfall, mm-hmm. right? And so not one is not better than the other. Both are needed. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just be a puddle. There'd be no rivers. <laughs> yeah. Things would be a puddle. Yeah. So, so boundaries, think of boundaries as a structure to hold emotional truths, 
The emotional truths being the feminine and the boundaries being the masculine. And you put both of them together and then you create, now there can be art, there can be safety, there can be, right? Mm. And so I, I think that if we, if we can reassign uh, away from all of the pain and gender politics on this and really get into like, what, what is the masculine in nature? Let's just start there in nature. Right. And what is the feminine in nature? Because we're, as human beings, we just reflect nature, right? How does that work? And then we get to watch it happen in our polarity with other human beings. Could be, it doesn't matter. They can be hetero, they can be uh, same sex, they can be gender fluid. It doesn't matter if I am still and breathing and looking, piercing, you know, piercing you with my gaze and looking into your eyes and breathing you, and you start to move and be an invitation for that, there will start to be a flow of energy between us, mm. even though we're both men, hetero men, right? And that energy can be created in any direction we want. It's our choice. Yeah. So it's cool. quite empowering, I think. Like it's a, it's a, to me, it's just, I could let my par feminine partner, you know, pin me with presence and consciousness and pierce my heart with love. And I could surrender open to that. Or, and then we could flip the next night. I just think that people, when, if we're aware of it, if we're aware of these energetic tendencies and how to amplify them and uh, use them and um, and share them, I think that we have all of this, these new possibilities that open. So that's a long pontification on that question, but hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> it is. I'm curious for people listening who are now like, oh, this is intriguing. Okay. So there's a masculine and there's a feminine, and I'm getting the sense that masculine is structure and feminine is flow. And Right. <clears throat> so I'm curious then how would... When someone is now entering this point of inquiry of like, oh, well, what am I? Am I a 60-40? Am I a 30-70? How would one identify? Because I think like there's those sort of like men can be overtly in their masculine and then not right. have that. I guess men and women, so like, and people. So can you just totally. explain that before I butcher it? <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I'm still forming this, Mark. You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of my innovation on David's work, you know, like where I'm talking about, you know, David tended tended to talk about things in the masculine and the feminine, right? Very yeah. polarized. I actually think that now, you know, 20 years later, after the way of the superior man, like what we're finding is that humans are much more complex in their, like in in the integration and the fluidity between both internally and in relationship. Mm -hmm. So so I'm still I'm still kind of working out like how does one um, how does one gauge where they fall? Like you seem to have a pretty intuitive hit. Like oh I think I probably fall somewhere around you are. Like I'm 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 uber sensitive and I'm you know I'm I'm uber sensitive. My heart's tender. I'm like I'm I can feel my emotions. I can feel the space. So I, I think the way to probably the way to answer your question would be to think of it, break it up into two, two pieces. One is awareness, right? So we're aware, all of us are aware, all human beings are aware that we're thinking, that we're breathing. You and I are aware we're talking. That awareness is our core masculine capacity, our awareness. So I'm aware that I'm aware. And the more that I meditate on that, the more I kind of drop into my natural masculine. Okay. The feminine in me senses, senses, feels, feels, ever feels the wind, 
feels the light in the room, feels your voice, sensation and sensitivity. And so when we marry those two things, awareness and sensitivity, we deepen our experience in any moment. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That's like such a recipe for presence. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. It's a recipe for presence and not just, you know, so being present in the way that a lot of meditation Zen, for example, is to just be witness or Vipassana, Mm -hmm. to just be witness to. So now you're not only wit, you're witness and you're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. And you're embodying. So embodiment work, which is what I teach basically, is how to take those two things, your your sensation, your sensitivity, your feeling body and your awareness and then press them through your body as a gift or as a as a sort of yogic meditative practice of relating <laughs> and relating to the moment relating to each other relating to yourself relating to children love weather so the more that you tend the more that a human being tends to answer your original question the more a human being tends to towards you know, that sensation, sensitivity, that that's more their natural state, their natural state of being, the more they fall into the feminine camp. And the more that they just are drawn towards uh, awareness, you know, stillness, peace, um, the more they crave that, or the more that they naturally fall into that, the more they're naturally masculine. And, and so it's not really a, there's no, there's no uh, value, right? The, the the value is very neutral. It's just, it's like it just is. is it red or is it blue? Yeah. Is it red? Yeah. Is it green or is it yellow? It's like there's no value. One's not better than the other. It's just like how we, how how, how we were born into the world and how we were raised and epigenetics. So again, I, I just don't want people to to feel like they need to be more masculine or they need to be more feminine. People weaponize these terms in themselves and in each other. It's more about like, what do you want to cultivate as a gift to yourself, to the world? And I will say one last thing about masculine is that masculine, like a new paradigm of masculinity to me is that synthesis of awareness and feeling. And a new paradigm of masculine leadership is our capacity to sense with our awareness and our feeling body what needs to happen in our relationship, in our companies, in this conversation. In what needs to happen next for there to be more freedom and love expressed. And so Mm, that's the way I like to look at that. Yeah. That's such an interesting way to think about the ingredients or um, how both of us in doing that create like that agreement between the two of us to be present and aware to navigate the nuances of of language and body language and flow and what's even maybe pouring through us and and what is the intention of this conversation and and you know which is to to be giving to be of service to to perhaps um as we broaden our own windows of awareness we maybe broaden other people's and you can really feel that you know i i've not thought of both feeling and awareness I've thought of awareness as being presence, but I've not thought of that also being like the sounds, the thoughts, the feelings, the sense, the, when I think of feminine in a feeling sense, I think of like how we call mother nature 
And it feels like all of the sort of senses that are beyond maybe even just this three-dimensional experience that, that we're constantly being informed. And can we be present to the information? Can we be present to that? And then can we take action based on the information, which, you know, I, I sort of look at the, sorry, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I think that's a beautiful point. And where I, where I think most people have stopped is the awareness piece, which is main, it's, it's not totally mental, but it exists. It's mind, it's part of mind, but the body awareness the the ability to feel other or feel space or feel the forest or that that that's as much that's that's at that's as that we take as much information in from our bodies as we do from our minds and our senses so we become more capable as lovers i mean you could see the sexual implications of, of of you know amplifying these things you know as leaders as parents we just feel more we feel more and we have a sharp enough awareness to know what to do with those feelings. And nobody taught to me, like going back to the way we started this, like nobody told us that those were going to be really valuable fucking skills. <laughs> no, they left that out. They taught me trigonometry yeah. instead, right? You know, which I've yet right. to use since I was taught it, <laughs> but I could have used uh, that that sense of action or implementation, because really what I could do was feel, you know, and I think a lot of people who listen, who are listening right now, probably identify more as empathic, you know, just by the nature of pursuing relational human connection information, but to be empathic, but not have, as you said, the structure that allows um, emotions to flow, the boundaries Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. empathy. And I certainly felt a lot of things in the world and felt intuitively and then didn't have the boundaries around that. And so then one then becomes a victim or a martyr in that state because doesn't know the way out that the only way to garner some sense of power is to hold the hurt over other people's heads or to hold resentment. And I think when I look at the common structure that like women who when I, when I see them go extremely in their masculine, when they've been wounded by the masculine, um, and then men who are extremely in their feminine, uh, because, uh, you know, maybe the pathology could be what I've been through, but how do we take that journey towards the, the thing that we're most afraid of? Cause I would imagine, you know, it's usually the thing we were hurt by. Is that right? Or, you know, like most, and then, most of the time. Yeah. 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 So yeah, how do we course. even go back? You know, like, how do we enter this space? If like feeling led to pain, then I'll stay in my head. If, if being in my head led to, you know, or, or overtaking too much action led to pain, I'll go to feeling mm-hmm. like whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah. I run into this with men a lot, women too. I mean, this is just the human condition right now. And, and I think we have to reframe it as warriorhood. I like right? that. So, so yeah. So, so the warrior chooses to feel more, right? Not better than you, not not, you know, not above you, but the warrior or even the teacher, you could say the teacher is the one who dares to feel more. And, um, you know, this has been true throughout time, throughout history, right? You know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, and fuck Greta Thunberg, perfect right. example of a warrior feeling more, like feeling the whole planet and like taking action. The, the warrior chooses to feel more. And, and so if we frame it, as a practice of warriorhood to go into our heart, to feel the things that we've been avoiding or the things that we've never fully processed, then some new capacity opens up. I see this all the time. I'm sure you do too with people you work with. 
So I see this in workshops where they go in and they touch something really a deep, deep old pain. And then they come out of a minute or two minute practice and fuck, there's just more of them there. Yeah. There's just like, there's just like, they're just more there. And what we touch fully will dissolve. Hmm. I, t- I tend to, be- I believe that what we what touch we fully, touch will, fully dissolve. will dissolve. Yeah. So just so I understand that, cause I love it. I can tell there's a truth in those words that needs to be explored that when I bring out maybe to the surface, what has been exiled or hidden mm. that it is then integrated. Maybe is that the right? Yeah. Like it just, it just, uh, yeah. Witness? yeah just, I think it just dissolves. Well, I think all those things happen, Yeah, <laughs> but, but I think all those things happen. I think I choose integration I like that because I think if I have pain that I have not fully felt it, it kind of, it lives somewhere in my body. Yeah. Right. They've proven this, right? They've proven that emotions, stored emotions are in muscle muscle tissue and tendons and bones. Right. <laughs> it lives there. So in our nervous system, the center of our body. So if I actually get into that, think of it like a knot, like a deep, deep, deep knot. I, I touch this knot of emotion in me. I get at it. I, I make sounds. I move. I get into it and I move it. There's freedom. And so that's kind of what I think happens. It becomes free and then there's just more space and it just kind of dissolves into the whole. I mean, I hadn't thought about it before you said that, but that's the way I would describe it. I think it just dissolves into the whole and it becomes part of the whole of me. Hmm. So now I have access to that processed pain as an ally. Mm, As like a resource. Yeah, as a resource. Yeah, Yeah. because I felt it. And so now it's like something that I've... It's now like a friend or, a, you know, I've had this big experience with my daughter. I, I, my daughter died a couple of years ago and, and I had to, I recently had to go back into it a few months ago where mm-hmm. I realized I, I had, my daughter died. I got into a relationship shortly thereafter. My business doubled. And then here I was like processing her, but also just holding this growing business. And I realized like, fuck, I've not fully felt this. And so I had to go into a very long process with a teacher of mine. I went to Kauai for a couple of months and just really went in and spent so spent a good two or three months just in the pain again. Des- some desperate grief, some desperate grief. I bet. And I came out of it. Yeah, I mean, she was my love of my fucking life. She's Claire. amazing. I've, she is amazing. Yeah, I, yeah she's the like love of my life. Words, her words um, still are with us. Because, yeah. you know, I remember watching that process because she lived it out loud. And that sure. I, uh, your guys' courage through that process was so healing and I think powerful for everybody because there was no, like you, we watched the grief occur. And I remember sending you a message just saying like, wow, like in in awe and in, in witness. And so I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you for even bringing you forward your, the newer part of the process. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went in and I found all this stuff that I thought I dealt with, but mm-hmm. I hadn't. <laughs> and once it cleared, it just no longer felt like an anchor. It felt just like an ally, like a like something that I, a resource I could draw on. So I think that's a beautiful way to describe it. I like that. I'm, I'm going to steal that from. <laughs> Take it. The, yeah. It lives in the ether. Um, yeah, right on. You know, I think of that. You know, as you bring up grief, I think as men. And, and humans, but like, as we go back into our bodies, we are 
we can't help but sort of feel the suffering of the world and feel the suffering of ourselves that maybe mm. has been unmet. Mm. And I know you spoke to grief there. And, and you know, I as I've gotten to know grief in a much deeper level, going through a breakup and being sober too, and not having an escape, you know, formerly right. I used the bottom of a pint glass to run away from what I now recognize as being honestly one of the greatest gateways to my totality to access to myself. And I think as men, there's, I can't, you know, it's not often spoken of, but like that there is such a collective grief for men. And I don't want to say that in Mm. that, that dismisses grief that women have, because of course everybody has grief. I think the grief that men have is that there is a part of ourselves that has completely been not welcome, not allowed, not, and, and I, you know, we are, we have permission to access things like aggression and rage. And I remember hearing someone say that anger is sad's bodyguard. And although I think both coexist and both are important emotions, Mm -hmm. I really was like, wow, that seems to be how most men express grief. And, you know, I'd love to hear just like through your process or what advice you might have for, because I think that's really the challenge is like, how do us as men, enter back into this space of like, I think about when a partner says, I need this from you. I need to feel you. I need Mm -hmm. to know you're there. You do things. Sure. You provide. Sure. Um, And maybe there's not enough appreciation for that. That's another subject, but it's like, I don't feel you. And the man's like, the world taught me to not have that. And now you want that. And I'm inadequate because I can't give it to you. But that was put in a box and in prison long ago. And now I need it in order to be with you and for you to feel my presence. But I don't even know how to do that. And so there's a part of me that gets upset for men because we don't even have capacity for inadequacy or shame. So like, how do we even, and of course, women initiate divorce more than men, they, because we're sitting there not able to show up thinking we did everything right. Right. And so I yeah, go on. Surprise. Yeah. No, no, no. This is, it's so, it's so many things you said there are really important. I want to start with what you opened with, which is that, that there is not a lot of space for masculine grief, like a collective masculine grief. I think a there's all these parts of ourselves that that have been that we that we were taught to stuff away or not access our yeah. grief our shame our sexual desires our you know all these things that were really not properly that we haven't properly we haven't been given permission to really feel and i think there's more like for example there's whole you didn't have this experience but whole generations of men big, you know, big swaths of men who, who really didn't have fatherhood, like didn't have a father there to teach them things, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or receive that texture of masculine love. I think there's a collective grief there for men to feel. Yeah, agreed. And I, and I, and I, the other one, the third one, I think is super important for men to, to tap into is that, and we don't speak about this, is that the rise of the feminine which was totally needed, totally, and and I'm so excited about because I think women are going to do a much better job than men have done for the last you know thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. The rise of the feminine is leaving men not knowing hmm. what to do. They're confused. Like, and what's my role? That, what's Which is my the role? Same thing within the household. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, what's my role? And wait a minute, like these things that I used to be celebrated for: provider, protector. 
those things are no longer really that important because she can handle for herself. I mean, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're aunties now. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, yeah. they're not, the, <laughs> they're not the end game, right? But you, you need present, there's different currencies now. And so mm. there's this, mm-hmm. there's this confusion and grief and you see it in male suicide and male drug addiction, male porn addiction, like it's getting processed in these weird ways. Yeah. So I think there's probably more, but those are three big ones that I think men are just awakening to collectively. And it's part of the reason why I love men's groups, because it's a way for us, for men to be, to, to experience the texture of masculine love that heals, because you don't want anything from me, man. You mm-hmm. just like see me and, you know, think I'm a good guy and appreciate what I do in the world. And, you know, in, in, in those groups, there's none of that. And it's a beautiful healing space for, for men. <clears throat> so there's that. And I think those are really important. And how do... How do men get more in touch with their feelings when they haven't been given permission to access them? Well, I, I think I think they make the commitment to move from anger, just one tick, rather than go from anger to grief, they go from anger to anguish. Mm. And anger, anguish, I kind of define as that middle ground between grief and anger, where it's like... There, yeah. there's a lot of energy in it. Like there's even some anger in it. It's like a wailing, right? So you think of it from the texture of screaming to the, yeah. to the texture of wailing, to the texture of like, you know, sobbing. And so I, what I've tried to do is help men make that little tiny step from anger to anguish. And it's, it's a yogic and meditative practice. Like, you know, just like feel... I have to often take them there linguistically in a practice because you're right, man, it's tricky terrain yeah. and language helps them get there. So I think that's, that's, that's the easy step I can give for men is to, you know, if you've got grief, you can't access, start with anger and then feel the part of you that's always longed for it to be different. Mm, I love that. The part of us that like, maybe we touch through the anger, but then we, we leave, maybe we go to porn, maybe we go to Mm -hmm. women, maybe we go to some sort of distraction away from the longing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I accessed rage was in a men's group. I had a lot of wounds with men due to, I got attacked by a gang when I was in high school that had nothing. Yeah. I didn't know them. I just got 44 stitches in my head. And, you know, I didn't really trust men in that sense. I played sports. And so I had lots of teammates, loved them. We had great relationships, still have great relationships. But there was like a part of me that was really afraid of rage because of what had happened to me, afraid of aggression. I remember the first time I accessed rage and I had never met. It was like all the boundaries I hadn't set, all the times I doormatted myself, all the victim-y, martyr bullshit that, you know, I blamed other people for, and, and certainly not saying that, that people can't be victims of things and, and, and other people be at fault. But after I did that, it's when you use the word anguish, I was trying to like figure out what is anguish, you know, cause it's, you hear about anguish, but it's not a common description of emotional experience. And there was this moment of the wailing where it transitioned from like, I'm going to fuck shit up to, right, right. I am sobbing uncontrollably. Right. right. And you said earlier that there's something about when someone accesses that, that more of them is there. 
And I know what you're saying, because when I've looked in the eyes of another person, a man or a woman or a person, and they've accessed that, that thing, that their eyes light up in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a sparkle, even if tears just washed through them, mm-hmm. there's sort of like more of them is there now. Um, they're magnetic. Yeah. Like they're more magnetic and, and, and most people don't, men and women, they don't get like once they hit that area of really deep heart truth, whether it's sadness yeah. or fear or anger, when they're fully expressing that through their eyes, through their body, they're more attractive. They're more magnetic. We were drawn towards them. We want to hold them. We want to touch them. We want to love them. And I think that's the great tragedy I see in relationship is that they, we generally pr- want to protect those parts versus reveal, mm-hmm. but it's in the revealing that we're the most magnetic. Uh, the irony, the irony, Isn't it? you know, <laughs> we think we need to hide it, but it literally is the key to connection. Mm-hmm. When I hear like some of them, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on how one might become more present with their partner, because that's probably one of the biggest pieces of feedback or let's call it complaints. That's really what it is about their masculine partner is that there is a lack of presence and feeling. And so when the man goes into this journey of anguish, they can then be more Mm -hmm. present. Is there any, like, is there any sort of recipe or ingredients to um, what a woman is really looking for when she asks for that? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. Um, It's so simple that most people just ignore it. And um, shit, I can't wait to really, it. Really, yeah, yeah. It's, you, you're gonna go, oh, that's it. Damn it, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, it's uh, breath. That breath is the is the key to presence. Breath is the key to chi in the body, prana in the body, energy in the body. Breath is life, us taking in life, especially breath into the pelvic floor. So you know, mm-hmm. part of presence. So what women are wanting from men, for the most part, is for us to come from living in here (laughs) to live, you know, from the heart to the genitals, basically, right? And the way to pull us down from the the head into the heart and the genitals, the belly, is breath. And as we bring awareness, think of that the beginning of our conversation. Think of breath as the feminine, and awareness as the masculine. And so when I'm breathing into my pelvic floor. That that you know, if you think about think about it as like a balloon, and when you inhale, the balloon, the bottom of the balloon just kind of expands down into your hips and your genitals. As you do that, and you bring awareness to the breath and that part of your body, you literally become embodied mm. below the navel. And, and and then, if you're skilled enough to think about grounding like grounding the genitals, grounding the root of the heart, grounding the feet, then you get really embodied. And you can literally see, I'd love to hook them up to machines, but you can literally see female feminine nervous systems relax as men do that. Around men who do that. Around men, right in real time, man. I can just, I lead them through a breathing exercise. Wow. And I watch the women sigh smile, shoulders drop, heart opens, tears, oftentimes there's tears. And so it's, Mm. it's so simple. And it's so easy to forget. 
but it, it, it's really the foundational piece of, of what I would call embodied presence, is being able to breathe and bring awareness into your lower abdomen, your legs, your feet, the ground, the root of your heart, like the bottom, you know how your heart has a bottom? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, think of like roots growing out of the root of your heart down into the earth. It, that meditative practice does wonders for the feminine nervous system. That's so cool to see that there's this co-regulation that then occurs. And then there is this element of trust and softening. And I feel your presence and all the things I was trying to chase through actions and language are now unspoken and unnecessary. Yeah, there's a there's a there's mm. this there's this nonverbal communication loop that starts between her body and your body or his body and your body. I mean, doesn't gender isn't important, but, 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 um, children with children, right. And co-regulation is the perfect word. That's exactly what happens. To think of how many of us are not, you know, I experienced this recently. We've been moving. I've been in Canada and the U S and everyone knows the shit show that Canada (laughs) is. And, you know, we've been in both. And I, yesterday, uh, did a meditation and I just felt myself finally arrive, even though I've been going places and doing things and meditating for mm. the most part, I realized like how I haven't been doing that type of meditation that like drops you in and roots you down. And so as you say that, and you know, that sort of speaks to how can I begin to be present? And I think of like rooting down in the body and, and maybe there's feelings there that that also will come up because we're back now in our bodies and maybe that's a foreign place. And maybe there was Mm -hmm. grief there that we didn't want to touch. And, but at least now our partner is able to feel us. Yeah. Very quickly, a minute, two minutes. Yeah. It doesn't take long. Okay. Well, that's simple. Now on the other side where like maybe the complaint is that, that nothing they ever do is enough, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that like for the man, the woman's complaint is that nothing they ever do is enough and that they just can't meet the needs that they have. And I'm curious as to what your sort of thoughts are. I know I'm like setting up yeah. these minefields for you. Like, yeah, right, no, no, these are take great. Care yeah, of this, I love I'm not going to have any issues here. Just please. So, so are you saying that the men feel like they they, they never, what they do is never enough? Yeah. Like com- there's this, commonly feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not emotional enough. I can't speak enough. I can't do this mm-hmm. enough. I can't provide enough. I'm not, right. you know. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, you know, David, act, this actually is more from David, but I, I'll, I'll add my little spin to it. One of the great reframes was that there's the feminine is always going to want more, more presence, more depth, more awareness, more integrity, more of our embodiment, more of our fuck, more of our heart, more yeah. of our, like the feminine, it just by nature, the feminine is always going to want more. So if we can, as men, immediately learn to go, oh, what more of me is she asking for right now? Because she loves me or she just wants more of me. She wants more of my consciousness or more of my awareness or more of my fuck or more of my love or more. She wants more from me. That helps, I think, a lot of men reframe it a little bit, right? And, And then where might she be right? Like, where mm-hmm. might I be withholding something? Where might I be? Where might I have lost consciousness, for example? 
uh, you know, I forgot to, I forgot to take out the trash. I forgot to yeah, right, put right. down the toilet seat. Those are, those are actually complaints about awareness, right? They're complaints about awareness. Uh, yeah. So, so, so the great feminine complaint is usually about our consciousness and our awareness or our capacity to be aware of feeling. That's also a complaint about awareness. If we can just see it like, wow, she wants more awareness from me. 90% of the time, that's the complaint. Awareness of my own heart, awareness of her heart, awareness of what... So, so guys, I think, do better when they can reframe it like that. And then, now that I've said, here's where you might be right, and I've reframed it, then I can own clearly like, Mm-hmm. that doesn't quite land. That part of the complaint uh, doesn't quite land, baby. That feels more like your stuff. Mm. Here's where you're right. And here's where I could have been more aware or could have been more sensitive. But here's what doesn't land. And I think that gives men a lot of ground to, to maneuver <laughs> in that age-old fucking dynamic. Yeah, right, the, the booby trap. <laughs> nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing is good enough. But if, so think, another, one last piece to this is if you think as, as in our masculine, you know, and you can, you know, is there like a limit to the amount of sweetness and devotion and sweet sexual energy that you want? Mm. Probably not. I mean, unless you're working, but in general, in your relationship, I'll take more sweetness. I'll take more sexy energy. I'll take more of your seductress. I'll take more of your sorceress. I'll take more of your, right? We're kind of uh, gluttons for their energy, just like they're gluttons for our presence and our awareness. So it's a really, it's a human thing first. And then without getting into all of the, you know, Amago dynamics and the attachment yeah. dynamics and all that other shit, which I'll leave to you. You're much better than me. Um, it, the human piece of it and the masculine understanding what the essential masculine and the essential feminine crave in each other, I think helps reframe it. Well, I love this because it gives language to what can show up as the structural dance of anxious, avoidance, empathic, whatever, you know, like, like it actually provides these emotional fluid tools that are like, oh, yeah, well, like when you reframe what you just said, uh, like the reframe of uh, of how you, sorry, how you reframed it, saying like, what is she actually asking more of and is she right? And and you mm-hmm. could do that in both directions. Right. Uh, it, that it is positively intentioned, you know, like mm-hmm. I think of like, I don't all, love all the feedback my partner gives me. Of course of I course. don't. Right. But I know that the intention is for me to show up as a better human being. Like she sees the things that I, I often she puts into language what is obvious and I know, but I haven't owned yet. Mm. And she loves me enough to tell me the truth. And that's a good partner right there. Right. I didn't have, I mean, I had ones who told me the truth before, but I didn't like it and I couldn't (laughs) hear it. And I didn't have, I didn't have the lens that you just asked us all to have, which is that there is actually a request and that request is valid and likely comes from a true place. And you also pointed out something that's so essential, which is when you can check in with personal responsibility, then you also can say when something isn't yours. And that is the invitation for the other person to take personal responsibility for where they're trying to meet a need that doesn't get met. That's not that other person's job or, or maybe a, our own need that needs to be met by ourselves. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah, so the credibility simple, it's factor goes way up. 
goes way up when you can own, especially for men, right? The credibility factor of like, okay, baby, like, where are you right? Yeah. Okay. Like I did lose that awareness and I did drop you. I you know, love a great one, that question. A, a, a great one is like, you know, after sex, for example, a common complaint women have is like, he drops me after sex or he like rolls over and goes to sleep or he doesn't text me the next day. Or I'm sure you've heard all yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. thousands of times. And that's, they're just upset about awareness. Like you lost awareness of me. You lost awareness of my heart. So more often than not, the women are right. If we are yeah. rolling over, if we are, we, we've lost awareness of their heart and it doesn't take much effort for us to be aware of their heart. Right. Um, mm. So, yeah, man, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a growing edge for a lot of men because it does require a little more discipline. It requires a little more awareness, but I, I think the benefits on the other side of it are, are just much more, much richer and rewarding sex life and They're relationship life. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everybody trusts you more. Everybody, they want to pay you more money. What, what your feminine partner, here's, here's one, what your feminine partner's asking for, I guarantee the fucking world is asking for the same thing. Mm. The world is asking for more of you in the same way that she is. And if we can get that and mm. put our big boy pants on, then, you know, everything, everything can change for us. That's powerful. Well, Mr. Wineland, yeah. I am so appreciative of you coming in and dropping it like it's hot here. This is awesome. I <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, I'm so glad we did this. This is a long time coming. Me too. And I can't wait to have you back on once you've uh, finished your book so that we can yeah. bring this like all, all the new language and structure that you put mm -hmm. into these things. I can't wait uh, for you to right. impart it. It's already been such a gift. And thank you so much for the work that you have done and continue to do. You've certainly been a, as I said at the beginning, a really guiding light for me. And in a lot of ways, gave me permission to continue. I uh, I know it wasn't on when we first started recording, but John and I met sort of serendipitously through a mutual friend, Rob Schwinkler, at a dinner at Cafe Gratitude and I had been following John's work for a while and, and it was just so great to finally put, um, to meet you in a cellular space and I look forward to doing that once again in the future. So, me John. Me too, yeah. Where do people find yeah. you? Where do they get more? Uh, oh, uh, there's so much of me, people be sick of it. But if you <laughs> go to johnwineland.com, there's a there's programs and there's podcasts and there's blogs and then I have a virtual workshop where I I literally shoot everything in all my workshops and there's practices and lots and lots of content. Awesome. I think it's John Wineland streaming that people can go to if they want. And Perfect. and I I want to I also want to acknowledge you man. I'm just so you're such a relatable guy. I think you and I kind of like we're not yogis. We're not, you know, no. Tibetan Buddhist. We're like we're pretty normal like dudes. And, and, and I just really, I just have a lot of kismet with you because of how relatable you are and, and, and how much you put out, like you're just, you're given, 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 man. So deep bow to you as well. And, Thank and you, it's sir. my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Such an honor. <laughs> Thanks Mark. Right on that. Yeah. And when you come back to the States, you know, hopefully we'll get to see each other in person at some point. Oh gosh. I hope so. Yeah. 